this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. We are coming to you from the border of liberty and prosperity and the highway to the north. This is Safety Wars Live for October 5th, 2022. Welcome to our show. What's the meaning of that? The border of liberty and prosperity. As everybody knows, if you if you are a regular listener of us here on the podcast and Safety Wars Live, the live program on Safety FM, you know that we are from Rockland County, New York, which is the border of New Jersey. Borders New Jersey. What's the motto of New Jersey? Liberty and prosperity. And what's the highway to the north is the New York Thruway. Very famous uh, highway here in the United States. We got a lot of stuff going on today. We're going to start out with our news. And then we're going to move into OSHA Outreach Training. One of our areas that we get all of the questions on. A lot of questions on OSHA Outreach Training. What is it? No. Why do you need it? What does it entail? Who could be an OSHA Outreach Trainer? All of those things. And that's what we're going to be covering for today. So, here we have. Here we go. We're going to be updating you on a couple of stories that we've been covering over the last year or so on the podcast and on our uh, channels on or our, I should say, on our social media, on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. You can look at for us under Facebook, uh, in, on Facebook as safetywars.com, uh, uh, on Instagram, my name, Jim Polzel, J-I-M, P is in Peter, O-E, S is in Sam, L is in Larry, and on LinkedIn at Jim Polzel. We're developing and doing more stuff all the time on that, so that may change. You can go over to our website at www.safetywards.com. We have links to everything. So let's update our listeners here on what we are doing. Alec Baldwin We've been covering this uh, situation since October of last year. Alec Baldwin and the Rust Producers, that's the name of the production company was he had uh, formed, have reached a settlement with the family of Helena Hutchinson's on their wrongful death suit filed in February. If you recall, a gun held by Alec Baldwin allegedly went off killing Helena and wounding another set member. What's part of the settlement? They didn't disclose yet what the financial things are. I don't think that they are. But no one is assigning blame to anyone. Filming will resume in January 2023. As you recall, the New Mexico version of OSHA wrote a scathing citation against the production company. Uh, That case is still pending and everybody is innocent until proven guilty on that one. And it's still being settled. So how do we know what's going to actually happen? end up uh, going out, uh, end up being settled. Uh, sort of that settlement, they may get nothing. They may get something, but I don't think that's realistic. OPEC is cutting production by 2 million barrels of oil per day, and it appears to be to defy the United States and the pressure the United States is exerting. So what does that mean? Look forward to higher prices. That little bit of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve 
that was uh, released by the feds uh, in this country, guess what? That the uh, positive effects of that are now waning and wearing off. So what does it come down to? More higher prices for oil. And we're going to talk about some of that right now. Oh, uh, Elon Musk. Well, what does this have to do with safety? Well, guess what? It has to do with the swamp. Right? We're going into the swamp. Uh, Elon Musk apparently saw pro, uh, the proverbial writing on the wall and will follow through on his Twitter purchase. Some reports are that people at Twitter are freaking out. Tesla investors are also concerned, and the Swamposphere is concerned that President Trump will be back on the platform along with the whole cast of characters that were banned, including some of my friends, for unknown reasons, right? They were banned, really. Some of them were political, some weren't political. I don't know. Very frustrating. And when they redid the monetization thing, a lot of people lost a lot of money on that. The hurricane cone is being called the confusing and misleading on the size of the storms. So that hurricane cone is what they show on like certain websites that show where the hurricane is going or where the tropical storm is. And it normally just includes the eye of the hurricane. Well, guess what? A lot of people are out there. They don't realize that that is the eye of the hurricane and the whole storm is massive. It could be a thousand miles in diameter or more. It's huge, right? Big, huge thing. I don't know how big hurricanes, uh, I don't know. The effects are felt for a thousand miles away probably, but people did not understand this cone and they did not realize that there was going to be a hurricane coming through their backyard apparently. I'm going to, how does this, obviously, safety, right? But we have to be careful when we are communicating information to people who are, may not be technical. There are all different types of people out there that don't understand things or take things the wrong way. There are some people who deliberately go out there to take things the wrong way. And guess what? That is a problem out there. Kevin Spacey. Yes, the Kevin Spacey. His trial is set to begin in New York City. Justin Rapp, a.k.a. Paul Stamets from Star Trek Discovery, is suing him for alleged sexual abuse when he was 14 in 1986. This and other allegations basically turned Kevin Spacey's career into Gwufno. That is another one that needs to be an episode for me because you know, I know there's a big thing going on in central New Jersey over the last couple of years. Every once in a while, we get it. And from the 1980s. And guess what? I know two of the people that were involved in that. Right? And that are, were accused. They were uh, uh, not member. Uh, no, I, uh, one of them was a teacher of mine. And one of them was the ringleader of a whole bunch of people doing this type of stuff. It's very frustrating. Some people never got over this. I go to high school reunions and stuff. And guess what? People are still pissed off over it. And... You know, uh, one of the things is, that gets into this, and yeah, I'm over it, but you uh, people say, well, if you're this angry, you're not over it. Well, guess what? If you're not angry, you're not paying attention, all right? Everybody should be angry, all right? There was a saying that they people used to tell us, teachers, people in authority, I know who you are based on who 
you hang out with and who you associate with. Little did we know that those people were associated with child molesters and abusers, right? So it's hypocrisy at its greatest, and it's just the way it is. Here's a Hurricane Ian, or Ian, update. I got Jay Allen saying Ian now. Ha, 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 ha. All right, just joking. You made a mistake one time, right? The remnants have been battering the Northeast, causing damage. So all up in New in our New York, New Jersey, in the coastal areas, there's some widespread minor flooding. And uh, well, except, hey, what's the difference between a minor flood and a major flood? A minor flood is what uh, happens to somebody else. A major flood is what happens to you. But one of the questions for this is, especially in Florida, do the insurance companies actually have enough insurance? I'm trying to get a uh, uh, have enough reserves, cash reserves, because a insurance company is more like an investment house or a bank, right? So they you send them the money, and then it's assessed on risk. They take the money, they invest it, and guess what happens? When a disaster hits, when an accident happens, and there's going to be a payout, it's like getting money out of the bank. And, you know, they're not going to give you the money so easy all the time, right? So there's a question, what's going to happen here in Florida? Because this is the biggest storm uh, as far as damage and dollar amounts ever to hit Florida. I don't know if it's the biggest storm, but we do know that it's probably the biggest dollar amount. And that's still being assessed. What they're looking at is an increase in insurance payments somewhere between 20 to 30%. Another thing, you guys out there with the solar power and some of the other alternative forms of energy, those are actually proving very useful in some of the areas of Florida without power. So I'm glad to hear, and I'm always glad to hear, people are working together. People are looking out for their neighbor and everything else. That's a good thing. Bangladesh. Following up on a story from last night, Bangladesh has their power restored. Apparently, it was from a one power line tripping and whatever that means. I don't know. That's what the uh, news said. And they uh, had it and they fixed it, which is a really good thing for Bangladesh. So we're going to go to break right now, and we'll hear you on the other side of the break. Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. 
You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. Yes, that you're, I'm sure there are some people laughing at us in here. I hope not. So what am I going to do next? I'm going to go back into that swamp. And there was a letter issued, and this is uh, from uh, the Committee on Education and Labor from the U.S. House of Representatives. The letter is signed by uh, Virginia Fox, who is a... Congresswoman and Fred Keller, who is a Congress uh, a member, I don't know what state they're from, but they are writing in the Honorable Douglas L. Parker, the Assistant Secretary for Occupational Safety and Health Administration, part of the Department of Labor. This is dealing with the uh, COVID-19 rulemaking. So I'm going to read a good chunk of this letter here. And uh, we're going to go into some analysis here. On June 21st, 2021, OSHA issued emergency temporary, an emergency temporary standard. This is June 21st, 2021, mandating workplace COVID-19 related precautions covered by employers in the healthcare industry, which the agency subsequently withdrew on December 27, 2021. You testified before the Committee on Education and Labor that the agency is working to finalize the ETS as a permanent COVID-19 standard for the healthcare industry and expects to issue a final standard this fall. In light of President Biden's recent proclamation regarding the end of the pandemic, the impracticality of the forthcoming regulatory scheme, and OSHA's questionable legal authority, we write to express our strong disapproval of your decision to move forward with this ill-advised rule and urge your agency to abandon it. On September 18th, President Biden proclaimed in a 60 Minutes interview that the pandemic is over he continued, if you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape, and so I think it's changing. It appears that OSHA did not get the president's memo. At the same time President Biden proclaimed the pandemic is over, his own administration continued to move forward with a COVID-19 rulemaking, not only reviving a regulatory scheme against the healthcare industry employers that expired in 2021, but also making the standard permanent. This is the height of foolishness. That's their words, not mine. Our healthcare industry is strained enough as it is without the Biden administration demanding additional burdensome COVID-19 requirements. It is overdue for Washington bureaucrats who stop using the pandemic as a pretense to increase top-down federal control over the workplace. Further, as many stakeholders have already pointed out, issuing a permanent COVID-19 regulatory standard mandating precautions that cannot be easily updated is unwise given in the ever-changing CDC guidance. OSHA itself has acknowledged that evolving CDC recommendations have resulted in inconsistencies with the initial healthcare industry, ETS, necessitating OSHA to reopen its public comment period to collect quote-unquote, more up-to-date information. Adding additional and permanent OSHA requirements for the healthcare industry on top of evolving 
CDC guidance is unnecessary and would cause widespread confusion among healthcare employers and workers without improving workplace safety. Lastly, we question OSHA's legal authority for continuing to pursue a long-expired ETS as the basis for a permanent COVID-19 regulation and granting the agency emergency rulemaking authority, the OSHA Act requires OSHA to replace an ETS with a permanent standard no later than six months after the publication in the Federal Register. And it goes on the letter, right? OSHA published the initial healthcare ETS in June 2021, subsequently withdrew it, and is now attempting to publish a permanent standard more than a year later. This is blatantly disregarding the law. If OSHA wishes to pursue this ill-advised and unnecessary rule as a permanent standard, it must do so through the normal rule-making process outlined in the OSHA Act. It cannot assert emergency powers simply to fast-track rulemaking, as the Coalition for Workplace Safety explains. And that goes on and on. Given President Biden's declaration of the end, and this is the end of the letter, of the pandemic, the potential COVID-19 healthcare industry's rule is, rule is impractical. And OSHA's lack of authority, we urge OSHA to cease the rulemaking on this ill-advised standard immediately. OSHA's exploitation of the pandemic as an excuse to increase federal control over the workplace is damaging to America's workers and job creators. We therefore request that you send us written assurance by no later than October 11th, confirming that OSHA is not working on issuing a permanent COVID-19 standard for the healthcare industry. Uh, thank you for your attention and our request. Sincerely, Virginia Fox, ranking member and Fred Keller, ranking member of the Subcommittee on Workforce Protection. Something tells me that they are probably Republican, but I don't have that in front of me because it says ranking member, not committee, you know, chairman or something like that. Now, I'm bringing this up. I went through this because this, all the news reports on this, again, this is September 26th. This is just coming out in the news this week. I No, I scour the news every day to find stories and everything else here on, uh, yeah, it says minority member. Uh, when I look on the thing, minority member, which would be Republican and Fred Keller. Yeah. He's from Pennsylvania. So Virginia Fox is from North Carolina. Jo Fred Keller is from Pennsylvania. They're Republicans. Let me point out to you here something. This really did not hit the news. And when it did hit the news, they didn't not really go into what the letter is. I'm mentioning this because it's very important, at least for me, that you get down into the nitty-gritty and dig deeper, especially if you want to be a leader in that safety war that we're always talking about. To go down deeper, become an authority on what we're talking about with COVID. This would probably be a good letter to send to your customers or up your chain of command. Hey, blah, blah, blah. I heard this on Safety Wars. That is on the Safety FM network from 8 to 9 p.m. every night. And here's a copy of this, and you can tune in to Jim and, uh, you know, get him to, you know, go and listen to this. And this is released usually as a podcast uh, a little after this program ends. But anyway, I right, why is this important here? This is important because this gives a good summary of what's going on out there. Uh, not only is this impractical, this whole COVID-19 stuff, right, and it's confusing and everything else, but, you know, like we covered the other night, 
they did not communicate the hazards adequately. Case in, and what to do. So case in point, before COVID, let's say that you're a certified industrial hygienist, certified safety professional, CHMM, or a certified indoor environmentalist like me, and you are supposed to be a somewhat of an expert in hazardous materials and biological hazards, right? That's what we have credentials in. Faced with a respiratory hazard, okay? Faced with a respiratory hazard, what kind of respirator would we have required? Um, Come on. I should have, you know, uh, game show music here, right? Okay. Is it going to be a face mask, non-rated? What do you think? Is that going to be a face mask, non-rated? No, probably not. Is it going to be an N95 respirator? Maybe. No, the uh, FDA requires that for infectious diseases. N95 with the uh, ASTM rating on it for, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? For liquids. Okay, yeah, maybe we could see that N95. Chances are, I'm going to tell you the truth, you're going to probably be in a powered air purifying respirator or you're going to be in a... uh, uh, a uh, full-face respirator or P100 cartridges. That's what it's going to be, or something along those lines. It's going to be a NIOSH-rated thing in the United States. Over in Europe, it's probably going to be an FFP2 and Asia KN95, everything rated. You're not going to be telling people to go around wearing a, uh, you know, uh, uh, no, an imitation mask that makes you feel better. We used to call them comfort masks and all this other crap out there. And, you know, homemade stuff. Hey, well-intentioned. People made homemade. They didn't, well, they didn't have enough. And then, no, that's a story for another day for damage control. All right? You know, now what, now, so what are we going to do here? Confusion? You want to talk about confusion? I, had, I was teaching a class today, and someone said, well, uh, respirators, Jimmy, uh, what's the deal here? How come that paper dust mask that'll protect us from uh, the most deadly virus that has ever existed in the world, why won't that go and, uh, you know, uh, protect us from crystalline silica, carbon monoxide, this, that, It's like, and I had to go this, and no, this is like an ongoing thing, and a lot of projects that I'm hearing about, nobody wants to wear respirators anymore, NIOSH-approved respirators, regardless of the training, because you had... The government's saying, well, you could wear this little paper dust mask and guess what, blah, 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 blah. Now it's an ongoing fight in that safety war that we don't need to have. Questionable legal authority. This is another thing. These government agencies, I don't care if it's OSHA or someone else, have to act within their authority. This is, again, we're going to be going into a little bit of the swamp here, Right? They had to work a little bit in their authority here with, uh, uh, with, with things. Because if they don't work under their authority, they start grabbing power and they get used to it. There was a former mayor of Chicago, and he, uh, and a, uh, he had a lot of high-ranking government positions inside uh, a couple of administrations. No, Rahm Emanuel. He said, you got to take advantage of a situation. And he was specifically talking with government power, right? 
I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat. If it's not explicitly in the law what their powers are, guess what? They shouldn't be assuming them. This is where Congress has got to come in, and this is our commentary here. Again, not Safety FM's uh, opinion. This is where Congress has got to come in and say, look, now you have the authority. Rather than go through all of the court systems and all of the other stuff and waiting time and everything, the Congress has got to act here. Who, where, where does their authority start and where does it end? Real simple. If they have the authority to regulate this, Congress should say so. If they don't, Congress should say so. Uh, with that, allowing the courts to go through here. And now it's almost, dare I say it, it's almost sedition to have a government agency go out there and look like a bunch of jackasses in light of a virus that kills, that has so far killed something like 1.2 million people in this country alone. And we have all different varied things. This is not good. You need some consistency. If OSHA wants to issue a standard and and everything, they should go through the regular means of issuing a standard, ETS. They could have issued ETSs from now until doomsday, It's my understanding. If they couldn't, well, then they probably should have. All right? And what did it do? All right, now, now I'm getting PO'd. It basically destroyed the credibility of all of the safety people that we've built up over the years. There, I'm getting stuff. I'm seeing stuff on a sponsor of our podcast, our early sponsor, Safety Nights, was, you know, you go there, you know, you think everybody loves you and you're getting along with everybody, and then the mask mandates come out, and all of a sudden you're an SOB, right? Because you have to enforce a mask mandate because the management does not want to enforce it. This is more of a human resources issue than it is a safety issue with what they're asking us to do. I know safety professionals that have said to me, Jimmy, I am not, I'm leaving the industry if they come back with more of these mask mandates without clear rules here, without some clear guidance because my career got ruined at working at a company. I'm never going to gain back any respect. I was involved right now with an accident investigation that happened today and the primary person paying for everything, no, I'm not the one, my company is heading up the investigation, but a lot of the questions have to be answered by another contractor. And those con- the way that those questions are being asked and the way that those forms are being written, it requires the safety professional to take an adversarial approach. Very difficult, it's a, very difficult for a normal person to take and, and no, to ask the questions that they're being at, that they have to ask to put on that damn form. Uh, it, it takes a very nuanced person to do it. So what happens? I said, no, so Bob, my man Bob, who I'm trying to get on the program, Bob says, hey, Jimmy, should I be asking these questions? And I said, absolutely not. Because if we ask those questions, our, we're, we're sunk for any future work on that job. So I told them, have someone else, have the company, the employer of that other person ask the questions. He is heading up that investigation there. Let him ruin his reputation. This is what companies are being asked to do here, right? 
We just celebrated 12 years, our 12th anniversary on Saturday here uh, for JCP Technical Slash Safety Wars. And now, now I'm being asked to destroy things, destroy my reputation, become adversarial. We're trying not to be adversarial with people. We're trying to get along with people. Why? This adversarial thing is not a principle of hop. Going and blaming people and shaming them and, of course, retrain. That's what companies blame, shame, and retrain. It doesn't work. It's, it sucks to do that to somebody. It's demeaning to do that to people. People were demeaned with this whole uh, uh, COVID, all these COVID procedures, because some companies enforced them. Some didn't, didn't enforce them. The ones that enforced them, guess what? That people still have not been able to win back their reputation. So now they won't vote. Now we got the lowdown on the whole CDC thing and the cold COVID thing, right? And even the CDC admits that they made mistakes. Now we have to go back and now we got to manage this. Well, yeah, we made a mistake with COVID. Dude, you fired five people for not wearing a mask, right? This And you get the blame, not the company. You get the blame. Well, guess what? Now we have a problem here and it sucks. And what's one to do? You know, you can't laugh about it. You can't do anything about it. You just need to go with it. And we're going to take a brief break here again. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. We are back. Here we are. We did not go over the financial uh, stuff today. Dow Jones Industrial is down slightly today and closed at 3273. NASDAQ is at 11148. U.S. 10-year Treasury is up to 3.75%. Gold is trading at 1726.50. Silver is up to 20.93. Platinum at 940.50. Palladium. 2293. Bitcoin, 20,134. Crude oil is up to 88.10 per barrel. So, as we mentioned before, people are talking about the uh, commodity market going up because the price of oil went up. We'll see how that pans out uh, because OPEC cut production uh, with us and that Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Release apparently is driving things up. That's what the reports are saying. So we're going to move on to our main topic. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. So I have, so I'm told, the distinct honor and privilege of being in Federal District 2, that is Region 2, uh, as being one of only about 20 people, so I'm told, that's what I'm talking. I don't know of being uh, having all four outreach training credentials under OSHA. So we're going to talk about the outreach training program today. 
And our most common courses uh, are construction. And we're going to go into a little bit of a deep dive with this. So there are four different areas of, uh, four different areas. And it comes out to nine different courses that are part of the outreach training program. So you have general industry, which I've been teaching this week, and you have a 10 and a 30 hour class. Those cover all the 1910 regulations, right? General industry. Then you had 1926, 10 and 30 hour courses, and those cover construction, 1926. And then you have disaster response worker training. That's a two day class, usually either a one day or two day class, 7.5 hours or 15 hours. That used to be 16 and eight. Uh, way back in the day before they really changed everything. And that doesn't really cover any specific regulation, but it does cover hazards that a disaster response worker might be going to. And it's also uh, what's probably needed down in Florida right now with the hurricane cleanup in South Carolina and some parts of New Jersey. I just got an invite today to go down to Florida for like further notice, uh, heading up cleanups here, but that's not in the cards. Uh, but also, and the last one is maritime training. And maritime is 10 or 30 hour courses. That's six courses in total. You're authorized to teach uh, dealing with shipyards, longshoring, and marine terminals. That's 1915, 1917, and 1918 regulated, I think, of what, what it comes down to. What's my point here. Outreach training is probably one of the most fraudulent, especially on the construction end, is the most fraudulent uh, certification that's out there. Not as far as the training. OSHA does a great job. The outreach trainers, most of them do a great job. But there are a lot of fake training classes out there. What do I mean? People, I used to get phone calls on a regular basis. Uh, Jim, yeah. Hey, this is JCP Technical. Yeah, it's JCP. How can I help you? Well, Jim, we're, we heard that you're a pretty good trainer. Okay, thank you. Who told you that? Well, you know, just, you know, you're a pretty good trainer. And I said, okay. And they say, well, we heard that uh, you uh, give the outreach training. Oh, yeah, we give outreach training. What can, no, what are you looking for? A price? Or you, what, no, what, give me some details here. Well, how long does it take you to do a 30-hour outreach course? This is like, who's buried in Grant's tomb? 30-hour outreach course takes, come on, anyone want to guess? 30 hours. And it's over a minimum of four days, seven and a half hours a day, and over a six-month period, it has to be done, right? And a minimum of three people up to 40 people. Are in, have to be in the class, and and that's what it is. And a ten, oh, okay. Well, how long does a ten-hour class take? Ten-hour class takes ten hours over two days. You're allowed to do five, basically seven and a half hours of maximum training per day. Oh, okay. Well, I know a guy over in uh, you know uh, Connecticut. I know a guy you know in your neck in the woods. He could do the thirty-hour class in four hours. Well, you know, uh, you're committing a felony there, dude. What do you mean? I said, well, that guy who's giving us those cards are, uh, you know, 
that's like blatantly illegal to do that. And if you find, if OSHA finds out, you're going to go to, he, there's a good chance he or she is going to go to jail there. And by the way, I don't know if you're, you might, oh, yeah, click. Oh, okay. So basically this is what happens. You have to go. I'm going to talk about construction here. But basically, the training requirements for a train-to-trainer, a train actual trainer in uh, the construction industry is basically the same all the way through. All right? Uh, so let me point out some things before we go further. The purpose of the program, the OSHA Outreach Program for construction industry, as well as all the other ones, is to teach construction workers about their rights employer responsibilities, and how to file a complaint, as well as how to identify, abate, avoid, and prevent job-related hazards. Number two, or B, it is a voluntary program. This training program is voluntary. Does not meet training requirements for any OSHA standard. While some jurisdictions, employers, and unions require OSHA outreach training to work on construction sites and to fulfill their safety training goals, OSHA considers the plan voluntary and workers must receive additional training on hazards specific to their job. Right? So, for example, no, uh, no uh, confined space entry, entrance training, that's separate. Attendant, separate. All this stuff, separate. Does that, right? And even though these courses are great, they're still just awareness level courses. These procedures for, and then going on, what are the, Things. Who could be an authorized trainer? The construction industry. What do you need? You need five years of construction safety experience. And it says in the guidelines, note that working safely in the industry does not meet industry safety experience requirements. A bachelor's degree or higher in occupational uh, safety and health or industrial hygiene from an accredited college or university. That's one, right? Or, and or a certified safety professional, or a certified industrial hygienist designation, in the applicable training area may be substituted for a total of two years of experience. So you're not going to get out of this without five years of experience or three years of experience and some type of credential as listed. Not going to happen. So this is what happens. Every time that there's a downturn in the economy, what do you think happens? Everybody wants to be a construction industry trainer. It's incredible. And you get folks out there uh, not doing the right thing. And, you know, they get shot down for this. So, well, they haven't been doing safety or they lie and everything else. So what do you have to do? Just don't go looking on a website, you know, does that person have construction experience? Uh, no experience. When you call up and say a place and say, well, hey, are you a construction industry standard uh, safety person? Are you a construction outreach trainer? You say, this is the kind of work that we do. Okay, this is what we're going to do. Can you do training? It's got to be tailor-made to what you're doing. So, for example... Let's say that you're doing training for a company and there are certain mandatory things that we'll go into that everybody has to have. Let's say that you're doing something uh, that you'll know, so uh, that, that you'll never, that is obscure. 
right? You could cover that in the safety training class if it's in the regulations, as I understand them, according to this. So what's a good example? OSHA has a lot of regulations under the construction industry. Do you have to have permit required confined spaces in that training? The answer is no, not if you're ever going to do it. How about, uh, 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 oh, I'm drawing a blank on some other stuff, right? But, you know, you try to make it applicable to what you're doing, not obscure. What do you have to do? You have to complete OSHA 510 Occupational Safety and Health Standards for the construction industry. And that has to be done. That's a one-week course. It has to be seven calendar years before completing the trainer course. And then you have to go and you have to go and go to the 500 trainer course in occupational safety and health standards for construction. So you're going to have to take the 510 course and the 500. Uh, I have not heard of any type of uh, uh, exceptions to this. And periodically, you have to go. Right now, it's every four years. You have to go for a recertification. And you have to demonstrate that you know how to do training. You cannot, there are people that actually fail. They go through all of this. They get to the last day for a presentation. They can't do a presentation. And they end up failing the course. It does happen. Then you have the 10-hour construction industry class. Right? So there are two classes, 10 and 30-hour. We're going to take a break right now. Okay, we're back. I had to take care of some business here in the background. So, you have two courses. You have the 10-hour construction industry course. What is, and you have to have a certain topics that are in that course. There are uh, mandatory six hours of training that needs to be Introduction to OSHA. That is a one-hour course. That used to be two hours. And uh, all, very few trainers except for me, uh, we're, now me and a couple of other trainers were able to do the whole two hours and make it very uh, interesting. Right now, that is, they said, look, that, well, most of that stuff could be in one hour, right? Uh, could be one hour. Most of the, the stuff could be one hour. And by the way, now you have to cover the same amount of material in one hour because they give you a required content, the teaching aids. That intro to OSHA has to co cover workers' rights, employer responsibilities, and how to file a complaint. Now, a lot of trainers do that as the last. 
because of a, a employer hears that as right out of the bed, this is how you call a OSHA, there may be a little problem there. It tells you it has to be covered, does not tell you what order has to be in. The materials include an instructor guide, student handouts, and participatory activities. It's important if you are a trainer, you need to go and update those that, a lot of that information. For example, the workplace statistics, how many people are dead, how many injuries there are. And what you could also do is if you know what kind of company you're dealing with, you can find out what is typical uh, the injuries found in that industry. If you can find the sick code for that, right? Uh, or the other codes that are co corporate codes and everything that are associated with that, they're in uh, OSHA, right, on the website. Then you have to cover the focus four hazards. What are those? Those are four hours. So you had one hour of intro to OSHA, then the four, focus four hazards. And they are of varying times, but... Uh, falls have to be covered a minimum of one hour and 30 minutes, and the other ones have to be covered for a minimum of 30 minutes apiece. So if you do your math, that's going to be more than 30 minutes for all of those, right? Other topics, if you stick to the hour and 30 minutes. Focus 4 were, uh, their whole thing was, with Focus 4, was to go and concentrate on what, is going to kill you and get you hurt. The focus for our falls, electrocutions, struck by and caught in, in or between. Those are the things. And what are, what, what do you have to cover? You have to identify the major hazards, describe the types of hazards that you're going to be in, protect, how do you protect yourself from these hazards, and recognize the employer requirements to protect workers from those hazards. Because these objectives are the expected student outcomes. Trainers may not vary from these objectives when planning the training session and must follow the participatory training model by applying effective training techniques. So that's what's required. Next uh, for those, focus four. Then you have personal protective and life-saving equipment, 30 minutes, health hazards in construction, 30 minutes. Then you have an elective. Now you're up to six hours. Electives of two hours. And they have a whole series of electives here. And they have six different topics. And at least two topics must be presented. Like I said, everything is tailor-made for what you're doing. Ones from cranes, excavations, materials handling, scaffolds, stairways and ladders, and tools. Hand and power. And then you have an optional two hours that you teach other construction and industry standards or policies and or expand on the mandatory or elective topics. So, for example, if I'm dealing with a bunch of attorneys taking a class, and that's not unheard of because they do accident investigations, they need outreach training. I might want to go into Intro to OSHA for a little bit more. Feel, make it that old-fashioned two-hour course because or more. That may be part of it. Just don't screw up on any of these times here. And they got to be documented. What you're teaching, there has to be an agenda up front. You could also have the 30-hour construction industry course. And that is basically all the topics I covered except more, except for a couple. So you have Intro to OSHA, one hour. Here's something in the 30 hours that you don't get in the 10-hour. Managing safety and health for two hours. And that includes injury and illness prevention programs, I2P2, Job safety, job site inspections, accident prevention programs, 
commitments, fire management, worksite analysis, and a whole bunch of stuff, how to conduct that safety meeting. Then, that's for two hours. Then OSHA focus for what we just talked about for six hours. These are all mandatory. PPE and life-saving equipment for two hours. Health hazards and construction, two hours. Stairways and ladders, one hour. Then you have 12 hours of elective. Right? And what is in the electives? Right? Concrete and masonry. Right, there has to be at least six of the following topics need to be presented. The minimum length of any one topic is one half hour. So it's got to be at least 12 hours of training. So concrete and masonry, construction, confined space entries, cranes, derricks, and hoists, ergonomics, excavations, fire prevention and protection and prevention, materials, handling and storage, use and disposal, motor vehicles, powered industrial trucks, a.k.a. forklifts. Safety and health programs, scaffolds, steel erection, right? And I always get this uh, reaction when we are talking about steel erections. (laughs) Tools, hand and power, welding and cutting, foundations for safety leadership, minimum of 2.5 hours. Now you're going to say safety leadership What about it? Well, guess what? We have developed a program here at Safety Wars. Specifically, it's a 17-part program, if you want to, at my weekly safety meeting, on safety leadership. And we go into leadership exercises. We go into a lecture. We go into all different types of stuff on leadership. You have, and then you have an optional four hours, right? Teach other construction industries hazards or policies and or expand on the mandatory or elective topics. And you have to keep records for this. There's extensive record keeping. And they have uh, in- industry spe- sector specific emphasis topics in Appendix B. And Appendix B is, not a, is for... Uh, they really don't have anything there. National Association of Landscape Professionals had something, improved something in 2018. But this is right off the website here. And they give you all different types of uh, uh, links to different websites and everything else. What this is not meant to be is a standards course. What does that mean, a standards course? That means you go through the regulation and you say, uh, you know, let, you know. Let's talk about the regulation here. That means you don't go and reread the regulations. I mean, can you imagine a thirty-hour course that sounds sort of like this? Here, let me get up a standard here. Right? Oh, this is all in real time. Right. So here is. You're not supposed to go out there and say, "1926, Subpart C." General Safety and Health Provisions. Contractor Requirements. 1926.20. Section 107 of the Act requires that it shall be a condition of each contract which is entered into under legislation subject to the... Now, who wants to sit through 30 hours of that? I don't. But guess what? There are some people that do that. Now, am I going to say I never did that? Sometimes it's really necessary to do that to make an emphasis, especially depending on your audience, because it's tailor-made to the audience. 
but that's not what the intent of the law is. That's not the intention of it. Another thing, Taylor making it, a lot of, if you have a long-term client and they're willing to give you audit results, you may be able to get some weird topics thrown in there. For example, illumination. You're going to say, well, how, uh, what about uh, illumination? Well, subpart C, right, has an illumination standard and the illumination uh, area of illumination requirements are in subpart D. Okay, let's look at illumination, 1926.56. And it gives you all different types of uh, illumination intensities. Now, uh, on some smartphones, it's not like you have to go out and buy an illumination meter or a light meter. You can actually have that. It's built in just like some of the things for noise monitoring right into the phone. Is it going to be accurate? No, if you're going to go out and do a full-blown noise, uh, I'm sorry, a full-blown noise. Okay, we got to talk about noise. Or illumination survey, you get the you know, NIST uh, uh, certified equipment, National Institute for Standards and Testing. But as a rule of thumb, now we could do that on the smartphone. Maybe go out and do a uh, survey of the building you're in. That might be it. You have certain demonstrations. Now you make it a little bit interesting here. Fall protection. Don't just show up that show off that fall protection movie, right? You go in and you say, hey, let's all try on the fall protection equipment. We're going to talk about uh, uh, fall protection distances. We're going to talk about anchors. Oh, we're going to try this stuff on. We're going to help each other. The class I had today, I had 11 people there that were trying on fall protection equipment. Guess what happened? Something that you always want as a trainer. You had the first couple of people I'm helping putting on the fall protection equipment. And we're, oh, this is how it is, how you adjust and everything else. And then all of a sudden they took the initiative and they helped the rest of the class while they were trying it on and everything. Everybody working together. It was like a wonderful thing. People getting along, people working together. No, at the end of it, they were giving each other high fives that they did this and everything else. It was great. That's what you want. Class involvement, teamwork, camaraderie, right? All that ritualistic behavior that we talk about that's so important and safety training and everything else. That's what you need to do. And, at you know, you need to go out there and help people. You got to get me out there and be a leader. I was able to identify the leaders with just of the class, just with that. And tomorrow I'm teaching them first aid CPR. So now I know, have an idea who the leaders are in that class. Maybe that are going to be helping coach people along here and everything else. You get people involved. You get up, walked around. What we were looking at, we were, had, it was a general industry class. We had, we we're talking about exits and entranceways. We went through the whole building looking at the exits, right? Take, took uh, 10, 15 minutes. Out. Let's look at the building. It was a small building. Okay, this could be a problem. Let them identify exits and what could be the problem. Talk about exiting the building, where the egress. It's a great thing where you go in and you get everybody involved with this stuff. All right? And, again, builds rapport with the class. One-on-one. -on -one. If you're interested in that kind of a class, a little bit more hands-on, give us a call. I haven't given the phone number out. 
or email me at jim at safetywords.com or get me through LinkedIn or Facebook. I, right? That's what you need to do. You got to get everybody together. You got to have fun with it. Then all of a sudden, that 30-hour class doesn't seem like a 30-hour class. That only seems like a 10-hour class, a one-day class, right? And again, you have to make a connection with the class. I try to make a connection. With this class, smaller class, uh, we only had 13 people in. Half of the people were Star Trek fans. And I was like, yes, I, I could talk. And I, guess what? I have a connection. And we were talking, and, and the uh, uh, people paying for the class were like, nobody had ever had a connection like this. You're in there talking Star Trek, and everybody's getting into it. The people that don't know Star Trek, they're getting into it. And because some of them are familiar with some of the things. I did a training class. It was a 40-hour Haswell class uh, uh, many years ago. And this was in the days before smartphones, all right? And I was a member of their Insider Club. And I downloaded, this was Coast to Coast AM. I know it's another program, and I love watching it. And I had it downloaded on my desktop, the MP3 files. And this, these guys were tough, man. They were tough. You know, right out of prison, they were going out of Haswell for a job, a big spill. That was the only job that they had with a, an employment agency. And one of the guys in the middle of the class says to me, no, after one of the breaks, the first break, he says, uh, hey, uh, uh, hey. Teacher, I said, yeah, you can call me, Jim. Yeah, hey, uh, you know, uh, we noticed that you have uh, that folder there on the uh, top, desktop, you know, on a projector. It says Coast to Coast AM. What's the deal with that? Well, I'm a Coast to Coast AM fan. I listen to it every night. He says to me, oh, great. Well, that's what we all listen to. That's what prisoners listen to in prison. It's Coast to Coast AM every night. So, and now they could be listening to Safety FM and all of the great programs that we have here. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Pozel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Good night, everybody. 